I mentioned in the beginning of our worship that we were reading the last part of Matthew, and uh, it was going to sort of bookend the Gospel of Matthew. Now we're going to back up and read some of the first part of Matthew, right at the beginning of chapter 2. Let's be standing, please. This is a familiar story, but as we will find in our discussion, a very important story for you and for me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, let me join with Royce in saying Happy New Year and also saying Merry Christmas. Now, you know, we in Churches of Christ have had somewhat of an ambivalent or, or troubled relationship with Christmas, going from just not wanting to identify it at all with the birth of Christ until today where more of us are like, well, you know, the Christian voice, especially in our country and in the world, seems to be growing dimmer. And let's take advantage of a time when people are talking about the birth of Jesus and, and speak the truth of the incarnation of Christ. And so more and more we've embraced that idea, or maybe I'm speaking more for myself, but in our celebration of Christmas, one thing that we've done is collapse all of Christmas down into one day. And even though Christmas is not a celebration that's given to us in Scripture, it developed over time in the church, it never was intended to be a one-day celebration. You know that. You sing the song. How many days are there to, of Christmas? Twelve days of Christmas. That's right. When is the first day of Christmas? December the 25th. That's right. And on the first day of Christmas, if you have a true love, you received 
a partridge in a pear tree. How many of you have true loves? Uh, well, you got a partridge? Well, I haven't seen many partridges and pear trees floating around. But anyway, the first day of Christmas, you get a partridge in a pear tree. Now, the first day of Christmas was December 25th. So that makes, if my math is correct, today is the ninth day of Christmas. So when you go home, if you have a true love, what are you going to find in your house? Nine drummers drumming. That's right. So try to have a nap with that going on, right? Okay, you might have to get them to be quiet during the, the cowboy game because, after all, that's the true meaning of Christmas. No, I won't get into that. Okay. All right, ninth day of Christmas. So the twelfth day of Christmas, it's finally going to be over on Wednesday. Now, if the first day of Christmas is December the 25th, it was to celebrate... That won't cooperate. It was to celebrate the birth of Jesus in the stable in Bethlehem. What is the twelfth day meant to celebrate? Why do we stretch it all the way to twelve days? And what is it that happened on the twelfth day? Or what have we chosen to celebrate on the twelfth day? I'll give you a hint. We just read the story. The coming of the Magi. That's right. So the 12 days of Christmas were meant to bridge that time from the birth of Jesus to the arrival of these Magi. Now, that doesn't quite really represent the truth, as many of our Christmas traditions don't quite totally represent the truth, because the Magi didn't show up to see baby Jesus until he was at least six months old, maybe up to even two years old. We don't really know what the time frame is there, but we know they did not show up that first night. So whenever, as we've collapsed all of Christmas into one day, and we have our little manger scenes, we've got to put the wise men in there, don't we? Because we only have this one day to talk about it. But we know that's not true, that they showed up months after the fact. We know that because of the time factors involved here, and because by the time they got to Jesus, was he still in the stable? Did you hear? Where was he? He was in a house. That's right. So obviously Mary and Joseph, who had come down from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be counted in the census, and they had stayed there after the birth of Jesus and had settled down into Bethlehem and had found better accommodations rather than that stable, they were in a house. So here come the Magi, and they show up. Now, the interesting thing is, too, that that twelfth day of Christmas... According to the song, now the first day of Christmas you get a partridge in a pear tree. On the twelfth day of Christmas is the best gift of all. Certainly the most expensive gift of all. And what is that? (laughs) Y'all don't know the song? I wouldn't either if I hadn't looked it up. (laughs) Twelve lords a-leaping. That's right. Now that's an expensive. You ever had, you know, hired twelve lords to leap before? Talking about spending the big bucks there. To have, have those people show up and leap around your house, that would be quite expensive. And in fact, in parts of the world where people still celebrate 12 days of Christmas, it's the 12th day that has the most parties. And it's really the 12th day that the gifts are exchanged. Now, let's be thinking. The 12th day celebrates the coming of the Magi. Why would it be the 12th day that you would exchange your gifts then? 
That's right, because they brought gifts to Jesus. So some of these things have kind of fallen into place. One more thing about that that we sort of cho- have taken out of that 12th day and transposed into our one day of Christmas is that in the parts of the world that still celebrate 12 days of Christmas, the, little, the children in that evening before the 12th day take their shoes, not their socks or stockings, but their shoes, and set them outside the door and fill them with hay. And that's for the camels of the Magi. And the camels of the Magi, as they're traveling to Jerusalem to see old bad King Herod, they stop there and eat the hay that the children leave out. And in gratitude, they put gifts in the shoes. Now, we take all of that, you know, we throw away the hay, we hang the stockings up, and we put the, okay. But you see sort of where all of that comes from, and over a period of time, we just kind of adapt things as we collapse everything into one day. Now, why are we talking about this? Well, one thing, I sort of enjoy finding out where our customs came from and sort of how things develop and all of that. But also, because we need to know the story of the Magi. And we need to know it well, not just sort of the folk telling of it that happens in our telling of the Christmas story where we put them showing up at the stable the night Jesus is born, but to really know the story on a a, a more accurate level. And the reason we need to know the story of the Magi is because it's one of the most important stories Matthew chooses to tell us. And he puts it here at the first of his gospel because it fits But he includes it where the other gospel writers don't because he knows it's going to balance the end of his gospel. At the end of his gospel, he's going to give us the Great Commission. At the beginning of the gospel, he gives us the story of the Magi. And it's important to us because this is where you make your appearance in the story. It is through the Magi that you first encounter this little baby who is the Son of God. Without the visit of the Magi, the Christmas story, the birth of the incarnation of Jesus, of God as Jesus, would just simply be a Jewish story. A story that happened in a little remote Jewish town long ago and impacted the nation of Israel. But when the Magi show up, the door is thrown wide open And the invitation is given to you to come and to be a part of what God is doing. So let's spend just a few moments kind of in Bible study. Not so much preaching today, but just sort of going back and and reviewing this story and trying to understand and grasp it so that we can value it and understand what it means for us. So here we have a, a short time after Jesus is born. The Magi set out to go to Jerusalem. Now, who are Magi? Well, I know we call them the wise men as well. And from the word Magi, we get the word magician. Because they were considered to be very mysterious and powerful people. A very ancient tradition, stretching back thousands of years. They centered their, they were mainly centered in the part of the country that we now call Iraq and Iran. At that time, it was Babylonia, Assyria, Persia, that area of the world that we've come to know again so well. 
That's where the Magi were. And, and they were the religious leaders as well as the top scientists of their day. Now, in their religion, they valued earth and wind and water and fire. Those are sort of the elements of the religion. And they looked to two different ways in which they felt like God communicated with human beings. One was the sky. They were the first great observers of the heavens. They were the ones that began mapping out the constellations of the stars that we still use today. That was the Magi that, that examined them so carefully and noticed where the stars always were and where they were at different seasons, and they began understanding that. They also felt like that God, or the Supreme Being, communicated with people through dreams. That if God had something he wanted to tell to someone, he would communicate it through a dream. Now, that sort of makes things start falling into place, doesn't it? Because we're going to have stars and dreams, both, in the story of the Magi's encounter with Jesus. Now, Magi are mentioned other places in the Bible as well, not just here. In fact, in the book of Acts, Simon, Magus, remember him? He was considered to be sort of a sorcerer or kind of like a magi. But if we go back in the Old Testament, the first magi that we come across, or at least it, he fits the bill, is Balaam. Do you remember him? Yeah, Balaam was brought in from the east in order to curse the people of Israel as they were coming in to the promised land. And remember, he talked about a star rising and you know, all of that. Yeah. Now, also, if you look in the book of Daniel, you're going to find Magi. Because the Magi were there in Babylonia, and they were important people in the Babylonian kingdom. And through the interpretation of dreams, Daniel became known at the, in the area of Babylonia as a Magi himself. And the Magi were important politically. They were kingmakers. That, that if a magi, the Magi got together and they interpreted the stars and they interpreted their dreams and they decided who had the rightful uh, authority to be a king over a nation. In fact, they had even challenged Herod earlier than this when Herod was sort of kicked out of the country and he ran off to Rome, had to get Rome's authority to come back. It was the Magi were a part of the group that had opposed him. So that's one reason when they show up again, they get his attention. So let's quickly go back. Ah, running out of time. Go back to the story again. Here they come. They've been in the east, Iran, Iraq, Babylonia, Syria, Persia, that area. And in the sky, they see a star. And they know the stars well enough to know this star is new and it's different. Now, in our scientific mind, we go, well, how did God do that? Was it a comet? Did he? I don't know. I don't know how God did that. But he put something in the sky to get these guys' attention. And he knew they would notice it. And they did. And they interpreted that to mean that a king has been born in Israel. So they get up and they, here they go to Jerusalem, making their way this, this journey of hundreds of miles from their home to Jerusalem. One little other misconception we probably need to clear up is they probably weren't riding camels. Uh, I know that, that that's a dear image in our mind is, is these guys riding camels, three of them. We don't know how many there were, 
But if our understanding of Magi is correct, they were probably riding horses, okay? And they probably were, it wasn't just three solitary figures. Even if there were only three Magi, and of course you know that's based on the number of gifts they bring. We don't know how many there were. But if there were only three Magi, they were surrounded by bodyguards, the Secret Service. This was an official delegation going from one area of the world to the next. And they, they arrived in pomp and glory, and they made a big splash when they came into town. All of Jerusalem, Scripture tells us, was concerned about the arrival of the Magi. Because when these guys showed up, something happened. Herod was afraid of them as well. And he knew he had to deal very gently with this situation because people respected these guys' power. And he didn't know what they were there for. He had already had trouble with them before. So he has a meeting with them. He says, what do you guys want? They said, we have seen a new star. And this star communicates to us that there is one new king born in Israel. Where is the one who was born to be king? Now that's a gotcha right there to Herod. Was Herod born to be king? No. Did he have the rightful right or the, the, the hereditary right to be? No. He was made king by the Roman Empire. And so they sort of tweak Herod a little bit and say, now there's somebody who has this right by birth. Well, Herod gets all excited. He, he doesn't know the scriptures well enough himself, so he has to call for help, and he gets the scripture uh, authorities together and say, well, where is this supposed to happen? And they say, well, it's going to happen in Bethlehem. So he gets the Magi back together and says, okay, go to Bethlehem. Now, he realizes he can't stop them because that's going to cause a lot of problems. So he, he comes up with what he thinks is a very ingenious plan. He says, you go and find him, and then you come back and tell me where he is because I want to go and honor and worship him too. Yeah, right. Well, we know what's going to happen there, don't we? We don't have to go there. Herod, this guy who's already killed one of his wives and many of his children because he thought they were trying to take his throne, he is not about to go and worship a new king. Right. But he sends the Magi off. From Jerusalem down to Bethlehem, not a very far, far journey. You can make it today in just a matter of minutes in a bus, and that's even stopping along the way at all the military checkpoints you have to go through now to get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Jerusalem, uh, for the most part, is, is in Israeli, Israeli hands. Bethlehem is in Palestinian hands, and you've got to go through. It's just a hassle. But it still doesn't take very long because it's very close. So here these guys head off. And when they do, someone points and points, look. There's the star again. The star that they had seen before evidently had not been showing anymore on their journey, but there it was again now. And in fact, this point of light began to lead them on their way, not only to Bethlehem, but to the very house where Jesus was. And so they walk into the house, and there they find Mary, and there they find this baby Jesus. Now, Mary... I can't digress too long, but I just, you know, when you play these stories out in your head and you sort of stop and look at them, some of the things just blow you away. Mary has seen some amazing things already, hadn't she? An angel appeared to her and told her she's going to have a baby, even though she didn't have a husband and she knew that to have a baby was basically an impossibility, but she believed it. And then her, her cousin uh, had a baby as well in old age, cousin Elizabeth. And then the, whenever the baby was born, uh, angels appeared to shepherds and shepherds came in. You know, all these things. And now, 
Someone knocks on her door. She opens the door up, and there are magi <laughs> with, with all this pomp and glory and, and the power of, of a powerful nations all gathered at her little door. And they come in, and they see her child, and they drop to their knees in joy. In fact, the way Matthew describes how they felt when they realized they were finding the, the king who had been born, he says, they rejoiced a great joy exceedingly. That's how Matthew says it. They fall down on their knees, they worship him, and then they break open their gifts that they brought. Gold and frankincense, which is an incense, and myrrh. Now there's some more tradition sort of gets mixed in. Tradition tells us that the gold was because he was a king and incense was because he was God and the myrrh was foreshadowing the preparation of his body because of his coming death. And that's a nice interpretation. I don't know. There may be some truth. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know these are strange gifts for a little baby, but very appropriate gifts for a king. Also, another thing about tradition that comes in here is that if there were three of these guys, it wasn't long before people began giving these guys names. And you may have come across those names before. One is Melchior. And Melchior is always presented as an old gray beard man. Another one was, was represented by Gaspar. And Gaspar is always represented as a young man. And then there's Balthasar, who is always represented as a man of color. And that's why the three of them together represent all humanity. And this is one of the reasons why, again, we have this story at the beginning. Now, there's several things we can do with this story as I wrap up here. One is we can compare Herod's reaction to the birth of the child to the wise men's or the magi's reaction. Herod was protected. They all got it. Herod realized if this were the king, that he was going to lose something. And sometimes when we begin to realize who Jesus is, we're a little afraid of what we're going to lose. We realize that if he truly is the Lord, if he is the Son of God, and we embrace him as such, then we lose the right to decide what we want for ourselves and to set ourselves at the center of the universe. We have to give all that up because Jesus is the center and Jesus is the Lord. So we can compare how Herod reacted to the way the Magi reacted. But the real point I want to drive home today is this. As we prepared in the initial reading and then at the beginning of the sermon, that the Magi throw open the door for us all. That it is their story that makes us begin to realize that this is a story for us as well. Now when we pause and consider that, that what God has been doing throughout all human history that he has now opened the door for you to come and be a part of what he wants to accomplish in this world. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. And the wise men let us know that you are invited to come and be a part of that kingdom. Later in the Gospel of John, 
John records some words of Jesus that he spoke to his disciples the night before he died. And he said, I'm about to go away. But what I'm going to do is to go and prepare a place for you. Now, again, sort of playing that story out, I may be taking some liberties. But when I see Jesus say that, I see him sitting there with his 11 disciples after Judas had bailed out on him. 11 disciples. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he looks at each one. Because he's going there to make sure that there is a place for each one of them in his kingdom. And that truth reaches through the ages and through the years to you as well. We're born, we live for a while. If we take care of ourselves and we're blessed with good genetics and all of that, it may be 80, 90 years. But that's it. But, through the story of Jesus... The door has been opened for you to become part of an eternal kingdom and to work with God in His purposes in this life, to give you meaning and significance, to take you no matter what race you are, what sex you are, even what past you've had, there is a place for you in God's kingdom. And we can be like Herod and try to just walk past it and ignore it, Or we can be like the Magi and fall on our knees and worship the one who opened the door for us. Today, claim the great privilege that has been given to you. You can work with God in what He wants to do in San Angelo, in Texas, and throughout the world. You have been claimed by Him as one of His own. And the door is open for you and He has prepared a place for you in His kingdom. Don't walk away from it, but embrace it. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. And we have some of our church leaders, our elders, some staff members, will make their way to the sides, to the back. I'll be up here at the front. And if you have never claimed your place in the kingdom, never put Jesus on in baptism, or if you've come today with some kind of a burden that you're bearing, whether it be a spiritual struggle, a physical problem, a burden in your family, and you need the prayers of kingdom people with you, and you need to once again reassume your place in God's kingdom. As we stand and sing, just quietly make your way to one of these leaders, one of these people who will pray with you, and don't leave today carrying that burden. Leave today having claimed your place in the kingdom of God. Let's stand and sing.